up, you beautiful bastards? Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button unless you want me to punch you in the throat, and let's just jump into it. You know, the first thing that we gotta talk about today is, you know, in the wake of the Supreme Court leak, it's been very interesting to see online arguments and reactions. But as far as the majority of Republican politicians and conservative mouthpieces are trying to make this only about the fact that this was leaked, which makes sense because it's easier to talk about that than the hugely unpopular overturning of Roe v. Wade, which, I mean, don't forget it, they are the reason it's happening. It's been the plan, it's been the goal, we're just seeing it executed. But we've also now seen a number of celebrities joining the conversation. Are you the likes of Olivia Rodrigo performing at a concert in Washington, D.C. and taking time to talk about the SCOTUS draft. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk about how heartbroken I am over the Supreme Court's potential as well as the likes of Mia Khalifa pulling no punches, writing conservatives don't deserve to hit it raw anyways, and adding if you've never been finished in without your consent, you shouldn't be making laws about women's bodies. Also comparing the penalties for rape versus performing an abortion for a rape victim claiming they want us dead. And changing your Twitter bio to overeducated underlove millennial because of that Matt Gates tweet, I don't know if you saw it. He wrote, how many of the women rallying against overturning Roe are overeducated underloved millennials who sadly return from protests to a lonely microwave dinner with their cats and no bumble matches? And be honest, that's a thousand percent something you would imagine Matt Gates to say because one, he's got a face that says, if you got a degree, not from me. And two, he's the 39 year old congressman being investigated by the Justice Department over whether he paid for sex, engaged in sex trafficking and had a sexual relationship with an underage girl. But then finally regarding reactions, that brings us to Joe Rogan, who a lot of people are talking about his reaction because on a recent podcast, he noted a number of things like how some people in some states are in a worse position than others, calling Texas's six week ban terrible and adding. Who the f knows they're pregnant at six weeks? You just missed your period. And then regarding the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade, he added, The thing that I'm thinking of is people that have, like, if something happens to you, like, what if you get raped? What if, uh, what if, you know, anything like that? Or what if, uh, you know, some, uh, like a family member molests I, someone? I, I, used to I don't like people telling other people what they can and can't do. Which, you know, a number of conservatives say, you know, why do you always have to argue the, the rape or the incest thing? That isn't the majority of people getting abortions, to which I would say, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't protect those people. And it's been really fucking weird to see a number of states not have exceptions for that. But lastly, uh, on the note of having policy based off of like what's happening in the majority of situations, I think this is an important thing to know. You have Rogan noting that sometimes a woman needs one to save her life, but that he struggles on the line with late-term abortion saying, I am 100% for a woman's right to choose. But as a human being, just as a, just a person observing things, there's a big difference between a little clump of cells and a fetus with an eyeball and a beating heart. And for anybody to pretend there's not is it's you're not doing any. But argument. where do you draw the line? Right. Where do you draw the line? Yeah. Yeah. That's the question. But that, if you just take a second to look at any numbers, is an incredibly weak argument when you talk about banning all abortion. Like, let me ask you this question: How many abortions do you think happen before? 13 weeks versus after 13 weeks. What do you think it is? Obviously with my argument, you know that under 13 weeks, it's gonna be more than 50%. Is it right on the line? Is it 51%, 60, 70, 80? In 2019, it was 92.7%, right? 92.7% of abortions that happened in this country happened in the first trimester, despite so much of the argumentation against abortion being about late term. With then 6.2% taking place between 14 and 20 weeks and less than 1% after 20 weeks, despite what seems to be the majority of the argument 
argument against abortion being about the less than 1%. But yeah, I just think it's important to note, you know, the stats and the facts of the situation, one, because it's important to point out bad arguments, but also two, because we're still seeing more and more legislation. Right, you've got news like just a day after the leak, Oklahoma's governor signed a Texas-like abortion ban into law, prohibiting the procedure after six weeks before most people even know they're pregnant. Also, the law will force people who are raped or victims of incest to carry their pregnancies to term. Also, like Texas, Oklahoma is going to allow private citizens to sue abortion providers or anyone who helps someone get a procedure after six weeks for upwards of $10,000. While yes, you could see this as just another copycat bill, it's important because Oklahoma is right next to Texas. And Oklahoma is where a number of women went to get the procedure done after Texas banned it. And speaking of neighboring states, I mean, just yesterday we saw Republicans in the Louisiana House advancing a bill through the committee that would literally classify abortion as a homicide. But unlike many of the other abortion laws we've seen recently, which focus more on penalizing those who provide abortion services or help someone get them, this one would go a step further and make it so the person who ended the pregnancy would also be charged with homicide. Also, the next thing in Republicans' crosshair is likely gonna be medication abortion pills, which really isn't surprising. I mean, according to a recent Pew report from January to mid-March, legislators in over 20 states introduced legislation that would either ban or limit abortion pills, with their efforts prompted in part by the fact that back in December, the FDA made permanent changes that it had implemented during the pandemic that would allow pills to be obtained through telehealth appointments or mail-order pharmacies, with a relaxation of those rules giving patients in some states with more restrictions easier access to the pill, and also helped fuel the massive boom in medication abortion, with data showing that abortion pills officially made up 54% of abortions in the U.S. in 2020. And so cutting access to these pills would massively undermine abortion access. Pills that notably are only authorized to end pregnancies in the first 10 weeks. With of course the big things being you can take it at home or anywhere and it's much less expensive and invasive than surgical abortions. But you do have legal experts saying they think that it's gonna be hard to enforce rules against the pills because people have and it's easy to go around restrictions by getting their pills online from other countries. And beyond that, abortion pill purchases are also exceptionally hard to regulate because the packages are discreet and nondescript. And there are rules about searching other people's mail as well as protections for those who send FDA approved drugs despite state laws, which is also why there's been speculation that the Biden administration could take steps to open up access to the pills even more. But again, states can just try to get around that. Yeah, hopefully that makes the this messy, ridiculous, chaos a little bit more understandable. And then let's talk about this news about a special relationship in Alabama, a tale as old as time. No, not that stereotypes aren't cool. I apologize, Alabama, roll tide. Rather, what I'm talking about is this absolutely batshit story coming out of Alabama about an inmate and a corrections officer. Right, so this story centers around murder suspect Casey Cole White, an assistant director of corrections for Lauderdale County, Vicki White, and I said stop it, officials say they are not related. So back in 2020, Casey was charged with two counts of capital murder in connection to a fatal stabbing that he confessed to and was awaiting his trial in Lauderdale County. Though, notably, he was already serving time for what officials described as a crime spree in 2015, which included home invasion, carjacking, and a police chase. Okay, so on Friday, Vicki leaves the jail just after 9.30 in the morning after telling employees that she was taking Casey to a mental health evaluation at a courthouse just down the road and that she'd be going to a medical appointment after because she wasn't feeling well. Now, immediately, that should have been a red flag because Vicki driving Casey alone was in violation of a policy that required two deputies to transport people with the level of charges that he had against him. You usually wanna have your bases covered with a suspected murderer, especially one who officials said had literally tried to escape before. Her coworkers don't stop her, and at around 11.30, nearly two hours after the two left, a police officer spotted Vicky's abandoned patrol car among cars for sale at a shopping center two miles away. And then four hours go by before a jail employee reports to the higher ups, hey, I, I can't reach Vicky on her phone, Casey isn't back in his jail cell. And as it turns out, there wasn't even a scheduled mental health evaluation. So on Monday, it's announced that there's an arrest warrant that's been issued for Vicky on a charge of permitting or facilitating an escape in the first degree. But Sheriff Rick Singleton left the door 
open for her saying. Whether she did that willingly or was coerced or threatened, we're not really sure. But we know for sure she did participate. And adding that the move shocked everyone she worked with, saying that it was so out of character for the jail's second highest ranking officer. But also noting that some recent actions by Vicky kind of made it seem that it maybe was premeditated. This, including facts like she had recently sold her house, she talked frequently about retiring and moving to the beach, and she was literally set to retire the same day she went missing. And by Tuesday, the idea that maybe she was coerced into doing this, that was done. With the sheriff saying in a statement, investigators received information from inmates at the Lauderdale County Detention Center over the weekend that there was a special relationship between Director White and inmate Casey White. And by special relationship, we learned that they had a two year relationship. With Singleton telling reporters at various points over the last few days that Vicky and Casey had been in contact via phone, and while the relationship was not physical contact, it was still a relationship of a different nature. And adding, we were told Casey White got special privileges and was treated differently while in the facility than the other inmates. With the marshal, Zer is also confirming that authorities believe she helped Casey escape, and now saying she is a wanted fugitive, offering a $5,000 reward for any intel on her whereabouts. That, in addition to the $10,000 reward for any information that could lead to Casey's capture that they had previously set. So yeah, if you see any of these two motherfuckers, you can get paid by reporting them to police. And I really, I have to imagine that Casey White is going to be captured because I don't know how you can be on the run and be six foot nine. Like if you see a guy that is six foot nine, that motherfucker's either in the NBA or Casey White. Yeah, just keep your eyes open and up. But from that, I wanna thank the sponsor of today's show, public.com slash DeFranco. Public is an investing platform that helps people be better investors by building portfolios of any fractional assets, stocks, ETFs, crypto, art, collectibles, and soon even more. And I love that they provide custom content tailored to my crypto and stock portfolios. And they hold town halls where community members can ask business leaders questions directly and watch them answer their questions live in the app. And for those of you newly crypto curious members, Public added features like educational slideshows and volatility reminders to help educate you along your journey. And then for you more experienced traders, Public's desktop access point allows for easier viewing, trade execution, and soon you'll be able to subscribe for premium access for VIP features and additional research. And one of the biggest things to me is Public puts investors first and doesn't sell trades to market makers, take money for payment for order flow, and standard stock trades are commission free. Well, best of all, when you go to public.com slash DeFranco, you'll receive a slice of a stock value between three and $1,000 once you open an account and make a deposit. That's public.com slash DeFranco because you should definitely start investing in your future now. And then we need to talk about TikTok officially coming after YouTube's lunch, uh, in-between meal snacks, dinner, everything. Or because TikTok has already been beating YouTube with certain view and watch time numbers. One of the biggest issues for TikTok is that the creators get paid garbage there. Because we've actually kind of blown up on TikTok starting back in February, we have some kind of insight there. In February, I think we got somewhere between 100 and 150 million views. The, the money we got from the creator fund, I think was under $5,000. Whereas obviously the content type is different. If you did those numbers on YouTube, depending on like what kind of content you put out, like that could bring in 300,000 to over a million but of course, the big asterisk with those numbers is that it's just a different kind of content. If you got those views with a YouTube short, right, the YouTube format meant to compete with TikTok, like you're gonna bring in almost no money as well. Which brings us to the potentially game-changing news, TikTok announcing TikTok Pulse, which the company describes as a way that lets advertisers place their brand next to the top content in the For You feed, and saying it's designed to give brands the tools and controls to be a part of these everyday moments and trends that engage the community. With TikTok saying they'll pair these ads with the top 4% of videos, with them offering 12 categories, right, whether it be content next to beauty, cooking, 
growing and more. Now, as far as on the creator side, who is this going to affect? Creators need to have at least 100,000 followers. And the absolute biggest thing is the company says they will have a 50-50 split with their creators. And with the way it's described, it sounds like this is gonna help kind of the, the tippity top of creators on the platform who can already make money from sponsors, brand deals, and other ventures like TV and music. Right, the Charlie D'Amelio's to the Bella Porches of the world with Bella, according to Forbes, only bringing in $5 million last year. And I know it sounds ridiculous to say only. But when you consider the, the views and the attention that she garners compared to the more mainstream people that would kill for her numbers, it is relatively low. When she puts a video out on the platform, she's getting between 10 to 50 million views. It's a lot of eyeballs in any content that keeps people on the app so the app can serve ads valuable. And so as a content creator on that platform as well, you know, I, I get hopeful that maybe this will also help what we do for a business. But where it gets really exciting is if this can open up more. Because to me, I think it would be really great if this could help small and medium-sized creators. Or the people that can get hundreds of thousands, a million views a month, they're currently kind of being paid pennies. But even if they could get fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. That's game changing. That's where it allows you to take it from like a hobby to something you do full time. But for that to become a reality, you have to hope the program is successful, that TikTok is going to expand the program, and that this isn't just something to keep the top creators on the platform from going somewhere else. Yeah, we'll see. And ultimately I see this as a win-win if this works out. Because I feel like as more brands become comfortable throwing out ads between things like TikToks, that opens up monetization opportunities against YouTube shorts. If you are a small creator right now, you really need to be focusing on short form content. It's the best and easiest way to get discovered right now. And then, very quickly, we'll talk about this heavily requested story about this video that's now leaked of Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn lying naked in bed and humping some man's face and or head. And while some places have reported that the guy on the receiving end was his cousin, that hasn't been verified and it's unclear where that claim came from. Though, it could be because of another video that was leaked showing a guy Cawthorn confirmed was his cousin grabbing his crotch. But let's just say that's a story for another day. Well, obviously, I can't show you those videos. This leak has made it pretty clear that the GOP has it out for Cawthorn, or so he claims. But ever since Cawthorn and said that the House GOP had cocaine-fueled orgies. There's just been leak after leak coming out about him. Though, it's not just the leaks. Outside of those, Cawthorn's had a hard time staying out of trouble. Fuck, just last month, he was cited for bringing a loaded handgun through a TSA checkpoint again. But as far as the video in question, Cawthorn says that the video just shows him being crass with a friend, trying to be funny, right? Kind of seeming to skirt around the idea that this guy is his cousin. And personally, I'll say, I don't care about this video. I don't think this shows like Cawthorn's in the closet or anything like that. For me, I'm more concerned about the him being an anti-democratic insurrectionist. Like the the him trying to do to democracy what he did to this guy's face in that video, that's the more concerning thing to me. And then, do, do y'all remember back in the before times? And so far, we have lost nobody to coronavirus in the United States. Nobody. 24 hours later. Breaking news. The first death from coronavirus here in the United States. Well, while it feels like it's been 10 years since then, it's actually been two years and 65 days, and we have finally done it. We have now surpassed 1 million coronavirus deaths in the United States, which is an absolutely insane number that I think a lot of us are kind of numb to at this point because that's what happens when you're hit with just trauma every day over and over again and again. But here's a graphic to illustrate how many people that is, right? Each one of those dots representing one dead American. It's like someone erased the population of San Jose, the 10th largest city in the country. But that comparison still doesn't capture it because excess deaths stand at 200,000, which is why experts say that 1 million is an undercount, though some may not be COVID related. And even all this time after, COVID's the third leading cause of death in the US, right behind heart disease and cancer. 
cancer. And each of those million dead from COVID, it has this huge ripple effect across society. For example, around a quarter of a million children have lost a caregiver, including 200,000 losing one or both parents. With every death from the virus leaving an estimated average of nine people grieving. Then of course you have the economic damage some industries hit harder than others. With food and agriculture, warehouse operations and manufacturing and transportation and construction seeing especially high death rates, as well as nursing homes becoming a virtual war zone as we've all seen. And as much as I think all of us are like trying to go back to whatever the fuck normal is, I think it is important to understand that this has left a scar. We haven't really experienced this level of loss since World War II when 418,000 Americans died. And well, of course in America, we're kind of raised to see ourselves the center of the world. This wasn't just a US issue. With the World Health Organization now revising their estimate of global deaths to now 15 million people. With them saying of this number that most countries are probably undercounting their figures, right? The official total before today was just 5.4 million. With India's numbers being standout, bad. Uh, their real death toll, according to the World Health Organization, was 4.7 million, 10 times their official number. But yeah, just some news I thought I'd share as your resident bringer of sadness. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching. Be a part of that conversation in the comments down below. My name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you next time.